We're in our series on, I'm just going to move on. We're in our series on the Ten Commandments. So turn your Bibles to Exodus uh, chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we'll read verses 1 and 2 to begin and then skip down to verse 15. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 15. It's good to see you all here tonight. I hope we'll be helped as we look at God's word together. The Bible says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now go to verse 15. Thou shalt not steal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. It's easy for us to go about our day and live our lives and not realize how much we need to hear from you so that you can change us, not just our behaviors, but ultimately our hearts, our loves, our desires, so we can be more like your son, the Lord Jesus. God, use your word tonight to expose what is in our hearts that displeases you. Use your word to expose what we have done that dishonors your name. And not just expose those things and bring those things to light, but use your word to give us new desires, new habits, new longings. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. There's a well-known Norman Rockwell painting that appeared on one of the covers of the Saturday Evening Post, and it shows a woman buying a turkey. You may have seen this before. Uh, If you take a closer look at it, there is uh, a lady on one side of the counter, a butcher on the other side of the counter. The butcher presses down on the scale. Not a lot, just one finger. The lady is pushing up on the scale. And instead of looking at each other, at the meat, they're looking at the scale because that is what they both care about the most. Now there's something comical about it, maybe even innocent about the photo, especially because after all, it's just a turkey and they only have one finger on the scale. Maybe this is just an innocent description of the real world that we always try to do, even if it's just a little bit, we try to do something to pay as little as we can, to give as little as we can, and to take as much as we can. After all, we are humans. Neither the butcher or the lady in the photo would consider themselves to be thieves. And yet, what this scene is an example of is how much our culture, even the culture of the 1930s, has normalized violating God's law. Because our thinking, and this is not just the thinking with the Eighth Commandment, it's the thinking with everything that our God commands us, Our thinking is that if we disobey in what we define as little ways, then we're not really disobeying. They aren't thieves, right? They're just normal people. But if God tells us not to steal, and he doesn't define it in small ways like all of the other commandments, a little bit of adultery is not okay, a little bit of lying is not okay, a little bit of murder is not okay, right? Well, that's got to be the same with with stealing. 
that there is not serious stealing and innocent stealing, but there's just, from God's perspective, stealing. And while there may be degrees of how severe it is, even the small ones, as we would call them, are still sinful and still disobeying God. Now, this command matters. Sometimes we can look at the, some, of the, some of the Ten Commandments or even some of the law in general and we think, well, that doesn't seem to serve a purpose because I would never do that. And anytime you run across something like that in the Bible, you need to take a closer look. Because if the Bible tells us not to do something, and if we think there's no way in the world I would ever do any of that, well, maybe we're being a little too narrow in our definition. And if you think you don't steal and therefore you can audit this commandment and go ahead and leave and pick up a coffee drink and then be on your way home, maybe we need to take a closer look at what it means to steal and have a broader definition of the different ways we disobey God in this sin. And that's what I want to do tonight. So number one, let's talk about the logic of the eighth commandment. Why does God tell us not to steal? Why is it such a big deal to the Lord that we don't take things that don't belong to us? Well, well, number one, God has established the right to private property. Now, Brother Bill Mills was joking with me before the service, and he was trying to fill in the blanks before uh, we started, and he was filling in the right to bear arms. And I told him, you can't do that, Brother Bill, you got to wait till the service. It's private property. We're not talking about bearing arms tonight. So if you did that, you can go ahead and cross that out and write private property if you're using a handout to follow along with a sermon. But this is inherent in the command, isn't it? If it's possible to steal from other people, then God is saying other people own stuff. Like there is stuff that's out there that does not belong to you. Power is not the only deciding factor here. Whether or not you're able to take it is not the only deciding factor. Things belong to other people. Now, this is because ultimately everything belongs to God. First Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12, it'll be up on the screen. David prays, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And here's why. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. And thine is the kingdom, O Lord. That is, all the stuff is his on earth or not on earth. It all belongs to him. God has all the property everywhere. And then his is the kingdom, so all of the authority belongs to him. Like, God ultimately decides what happens or allows everything that happens. It all belongs to God. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might, and in thy hand is to make great and give strength unto all. We have stuff because God lets us have stuff, (laughs) God, for the Christian, stealing does not begin with other people. This is really, really important. I want you to, I want you to grab hold of this because this is going to help us apply it. And if we miss this, we really won't be able to apply the command. Stealing does not begin with what we do to other people. Stealing for the Christian begins with how we understand God. God created everything. So whether or not you take stuff will de- depend on whether or not you sin against him. God makes stuff, and he decides who gets it. God also made everybody, which means everyone belongs to him. So when you take people or or use them or abuse them or, or manipulate them or treat them as if you can do whatever you want to them, you're acting as if you made them. 
but God owns this world, everything in heaven, everything in earth, all the stuff all the earth, on the earth, and whoever has wealth and riches and honor, David is saying, they were given that by God. David doesn't say they were always deserving of it, by the way. David's not saying they always earned it in the right way, but whatever, whoever has what is ultimately up to God. He has allowed that in his providence. So to steal then is to despise our neighbor. If you take your neighbor's car, you're sinning against your neighbor, but you're not just sinning against your neighbor. You're sinning against your, the God who created your neighbor and the God who created you. Whenever we take something that doesn't belong to us, and we'll talk in more specifics about the different ways we can do that, we're sinning against God and neighbor both. Uh, number two, notice that then it follows from this, the individual's right to private property is not absolute. It's not absolute. And, and this follows First Chronicles, but Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. So the psalmist, again, everything belongs to God. Everyone belongs to God. Psalm 50. Psalm 50. God is, um, uh, this image of God is just a little bit sarcastic here as he speaks back to his people because God doesn't need things like we need things. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. God is the ultimate owner of everything. That's what the Bible teaches. Which means you and I are the ultimate owners of nothing. And we talked about this just a couple weeks ago when we were in Luke 16. And Jesus tells a parable of a steward, a sinful steward, who wastes what he has been given. He's been unjust with it, but even he thinks about the future. And the reason he uses a picture of a steward to, uh, to work as a metaphor for God's people is because you and I, at the end of the day, are stewards of what God has allowed us to work with. That is, you and I are not the ultimate owners. We get to own stuff because God lets us own and play with, and work with, and use, and live in, and drive his stuff. Are we getting this? Does this make sense? So God has everything. We get to steward some of the stuff that God has. Now, the the ultimate illustration of this, of course, is Adam and Eve in the garden. The garden did not ultimately belong to Adam and Eve. They did not own the garden in a complete sense, because if they owned the garden, they could do with it whatever they want. And this is very important for the Christian's ethics of the body and sexuality. You don't own your body. God owns your body. You steward your body. You can't do with it whatever you want, whether you're a Christian or not. God owns things. He lets us steward them. And Adam and Eve did not own the garden. We know that because they weren't allowed to eat from every tree in the garden. In fact, God made that clear to them that there was an area that was off limits, How could there be an area off limits if they were the owners? They weren't the owners. So even before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve, the the first man and woman who had a piece of property, they only owned it because God let them steward it. And by the way, they lost it. And the next image we have of land is Israel, who is allowed to live in the land as they obeyed God. And as they disobeyed God, Here come the Assyrians and the Babylonians. God makes it very clear throughout the whole story of Scripture 
that our personal property is not absolute. God owns everything, and we get to steward some of the stuff that God has. Are you with me so far? All right. Number three, therefore, to steal is, is two things, both to harm our neighbor and, at the same time, to not trust God's providence. When you steal, when you treat something that's not yours as if it was yours, you're hurting your neighbor, but more than hurting your neighbor, you're, you're failing to trust God and what he's provided for you. You're saying that what God has provided for you is not enough. God hasn't provided enough for me. God's not done enough for me. God's not met my needs because I need to take this. He's not given me enough to live on, so I'm going to live off of this unjustly. He's not given me enough stuff and enough material possession, so I'm going to take something that I can't own or I can't afford. So keeping the Eighth Commandment, then, is not just an act of love for neighbor, but I hope you see this. Keeping the Eighth Commandment means trusting God. To not steal, even to not covet, as we'll talk about in a couple weeks, is a way of saying, God, I trust you. I trust that you know what I need to have. You know how much money I need to have. You know what kind of house I need to have. You know what kind of cars I need to have. You know, God, what I am able to steward and to take care of better than I know. And whenever we don't steal, that is what we're confessing about God. Every theft is an assault on God's providence for us, but it's also an assault on God's providence for others. We're saying, God, I'm taking this because you shouldn't have given this to them, God. The reason that anything belongs to anyone is because it comes from God. And we don't have the right to take for ourselves what God has given to others. Now, uh, you know, a basic definition of stealing would be taking what doesn't belong to you. But if you're a Christian, then I hope you see it means much more than that. And here's the logic of the Eighth Commandment. Because God owns everything, because everything comes from him, ultimately, and we just take care of God's stuff while we're here on earth for this very short time, it means this then, to steal biblically, if you want a biblical definition, to steal is to treat something that God in his providence has not given you as if it belongs to you. It is rebellion against the way God has decided to order the world. And when you steal, when you are dishonest, when you're greedy in any way with stuff or with people, you're telling God, God, I don't like the way you're running the world. I don't like the way you're distributing things. I could do a better job of that myself. It's rebellion against God. So yes, it is against our neighbor, but ultimately it is against God. And this is why it is in the Ten Commandments, because stealing is rebellion. It is sinful. It's not just looked down on by Christians or by a religious society or by our culture. Stealing is an offense to God. We are thumbing our nose at him and saying, God, you haven't given me enough stuff. I don't like how you're running the world. I don't like how you're taking care of me. And that's why the sin is so serious. Now up to this point, you may be thinking, okay, David, I I get this is a really big deal, and especially as a Christian, this is a huge deal because stealing is not just hurting other people, stealing is against God, but I don't think I do it. Well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the prevalence of theft and how common this sin is. When I approach the Ten Commandments, I just sort of instinctively think that if no one ever did these things, God wouldn't need to command us not to do them, right? Right? God doesn't command us to not go grow third eyeballs because it's not typically something we do. 
So when we look at God's commands, what we're looking at are, are things that we love and desire and would want to do unless we listen to God and he stops us. So as a Christian, I have to approach the Ten Commandments knowing this. The things God tells me I shall not do are things that I'm inclined to do, things I want to do in my sinful nature, and things I probably am doing without God's help to stop. Now there's obvious forms of theft. Burglary, robbery, larceny. I don't know if you know what the word larceny means. It means taking something and not returning it. Hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, extortion, racketeering, which is just obtaining money by any illegal means. Now we don't do a lot of that. I'm hoping most of you don't. And some of you may have done that in your past and you think that's been a long time since I've been involved in something like that. Maybe God has forgiven you and you've moved on. But you may be thinking, these are not the kinds of things I do. I mean, when there's a big hijacking, it makes the news. One time when I was in Los Angeles, there was a hijacking of a semi. He was going the wrong direction in traffic. And I got stuck in traffic for like four hours. It was terrible. That stuff doesn't happen all the time. Like most of us in here probably didn't do a hijacking today, right? So you may be thinking, this command isn't for me. But I think there's other ways that we steal. Jerry Bridges talked about respectable sins. That is the sins that, for some reason, we don't... They're in the Bible, and the Bible tells us not to do them, but for some reason we act like they're normal. And I think when it comes to stealing, there are respectable ways, respectable ways, that we steal. People steal supplies from hospitals, hotels, even construction sites. There was one hotel chain that reported in its first year of business, when they first got started, they had 38,000 spoons missing and 350 coffee pots missing. That's theft. Citizens steal from their government by underpaying taxes. And I I suppose when it comes to the people writing the policies and deciding what the taxes are going to be, if they're wasting their people's money, then they're probably stealing too. Do you have any, are there any, is there, are there things that you own that are hanging around your house or that ended up in your children's room or that are in your kitchen or somewhere that belong to other people that just never made it back to them? That's stealing, right? Whether it's a, a, a DVD, I don't even know if people use DVDs anymore or a, or a book or whatever. Uh, if you take something from someone, you claim that you're going to give it back to them, you don't give it back to them, well, you're taking it and you're acting like it's yours and it's not because God decided they were going to have it. So it's stealing. Employers steal from their employees by failing to give what they owe them, which is an adequate wage. Much of, of the advertising industry, now if you're in sales or you're in marketing, you're not necessarily guilty of this, although I have told people that pursued a career in sales and marketing to be very careful about this. Because much advertising manages to break both the Eighth Commandment and the Ninth Commandment by demanding more than what your, what your service is worth and then by lying to people about what they're getting. And whether it takes care of your family or not, it's still a sin if you make a living dishonestly. You can break this command by wa- wasting people's time. That is taking something that belongs to them and misusing it. You can waste people's time and steal it from them. That's, that's theirs. It's not all yours. You can have exaggerated in, insurance claims. You can pad your expense accounts. Or use every penny in your expense account, even though it's more than you need to use. So it doesn't go down the next year. 
But it's not a luxury thing. It's, an, it's, a, it's meant to be an expense. That is, you should only spend it if you need to spend it. And if you're doing more than that, you're stealing. Man, this is getting really exciting, isn't it? Okay. Uh, you, you, owe, you owe your parents, you have an obligation to your parents. This is an earlier command, but it works. You, owe an, you have an obligation of your parents to take care of them in their old age. And if you fail to do that, you're, you're, take, you're, you're keeping back something from them that God has decided, according to the Ten Commandments, belongs to them. You're stealing. People, Christians, steal music and movies from the internet. And those same people will be very unhappy if somebody steals their car. But if you think you can live in a moral universe where you steal a movie online and then you turn around and don't want someone to steal your car, that is, that's pretty inconsistent. Are we okay? All right. So the problem with this command is not that it's not relevant. The problem with this command may be that it's a little too relevant, right? Because if you're thinking creatively, hopefully beyond even the, the very few examples that I've just given, you realize because we are sinners, we can in very different ways take things that just don't belong to us. And when we do, we're breaking this command. So uh, here's, not, uh, here's a quote from Martin Luther, one of his uh, sermons on the catechism. This is not really a bumper sticker Christian saying, but he says, if we look at mankind in all its conditions, it's nothing but a vast, wide stable of great thieves. Well, Merry Christmas. But I think he's right. I think we have, it's become a pattern for us and we've habituated it and we justify these things and we look past these things and we say it's not a big deal, but God is not against big stealing. God is against stealing. Right? And we should be as well. So how does the coming of Jesus, let's look at Christ in the Eighth Commandment, how does the coming of Jesus change, or maybe move forward, how we think about this commandment? Well, the first thing is good news. That is that Jesus transforms thieves. Now, when I was going through that application, and maybe I'm hoping that you you thought about your own life and the different ways you take things that God hasn't given you or you desire things that God hasn't given you or maybe you're jealous of other people who have things that God hasn't given you. And I hope you see that even in small ways, you and I are liable to break this commandment. But that could lead you to a place of hopelessness and despair. That is, if I'm always taking stuff that doesn't belong to me, if I'm treating other things like, they, like God has given them to me when he, when he hasn't, well, is God really going to forgive me for this? But Jesus shows us just how willing God is to forgive thieves. There's the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus sees him in the tree. He goes to his house, and then he says something amazing in Luke chapter 10, verse 9. This day is salvation come to this house. Now, Jesus doesn't say that a lot. Imagine what Zacchaeus would have felt like. And by the way, Zacchaeus wasn't just involved in this sin in a small way. They didn't really have an IRS. Now, you, you, a lot of people complain about the IRS a lot, but read about first century Roman history. There are things even worse than the IRS. And if you were in a first century province of Rome, um, the way that Rome would do this is that they would bid out different territories, and whoever promised they could get the most money from the people uh, would be hired to tax that certain region. 
And there really wasn't a lot of money in that because all that money that was promised went to Rome. And you had to promise a lot or they would hire the higher bidder, right? So you've got to promise Rome you're going to bring in a lot of money. That's what people in charge of these different taxing regions had to do. If you were going to make any money off of it, you had to tell people that they owed more than they actually did and you would pocket the extra. Now Zacchaeus has enough money to pay people back four times what he stole from them. So here's a tax collector who ostensibly don't make a lot of money unless they steal and then they make tons of money. If he's able to pay that much back, what does it mean? This dude has stolen like a ton of money, right? And yet, and yet through the grace that was brought by Jesus, his heart was changed in such a way that he goes from being a taker to a giver. And he wants people to take his money. What happened? Salvation came to him. He had an encounter with Jesus, and Jesus was able to change his heart in such a way where he didn't think about stuff like he used to think about stuff. Has that happened to you? If, you, if, you know, if you're not a Christian, you may think this all sounds like baloney. But even if you are a Christian, um, you, may be, you may be a lot attached to, to stuff and your, uh, your finances, and your material possessions, and what you're able to get out of other people by using them, you may be really attached to that, and you may think, man, giving is just sacrificing, having an open hand, and releasing some of the stuff that I've accumulated. That seems so hard. But Jesus can change that in you, to where you stop becoming a taker, you become a giver. There are people who are always asking for something, Is that how people think of you? Are you greedy? Jesus can change that. Not only do we have Zacchaeus, but man, this is an incredible example. Jesus was crucified between thieves of all people. And in fact, he tells one of them on one of the sides that was being crucified next to Jesus, he tells one of them today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Now you're not going to find anywhere else in the Bible, in the Gospels, where Jesus tells someone, hey, Like, out loud, you're going to be in heaven. Now he forgives people of their sins, but wouldn't it be cool for Jesus to have said of you, like, out loud, publicly, I'm going to see you in heaven. That's a pretty high honor given to a thief. I don't know how much he stole, but he was being executed in the same way that very, very bad people were executed, so he probably stole a lot. But even he could find forgiveness. So yes, we do steal, and it is in our nature, and we are greedy, and we are obsessed with stuff, and we do take more than we need, but God is willing to forgive us of even this. Secondly, secondly, Jesus knows our temptations. Jesus knows our temptations. Matthew chapter 4, one of the temptations that, um, that Satan offers to Jesus is to give him the kingdoms of the world. <laughs> Now, you may be wondering, how, how, how could Jesus know my temptation to steal because Jesus is God and God has everything, right? Like, you may think that's the one sin Jesus could never be tempted with because he's God. Je- Jesus didn't feel need like I did because he was God. He had all the things, but he didn't have all the things. In fact, there was something that Satan had, at least during the incarnation, during this temptation, that Jesus didn't have. And that was the kingdoms, meaning Satan possessed the hearts of people. 
That's something Satan had that Jesus didn't have, right? And not only that, it's something good that Jesus wanted. So here you have something Jesus wanted, but it wasn't his time yet. His time had not yet come. He would not draw people to himself until he had been exalted on the cross. This was something good in the hearts of people, the kingdoms of men. Something good that Jesus wanted, that Satan had, that Jesus didn't have. And the only reason Jesus didn't have it yet is because it wasn't the Father's timing. And Jesus refused to use his unlimited power to take something that the Father said it wasn't time to take yet. Isn't that amazing? God in the flesh, God himself in the flesh, did not use his power to take what the Father had not appointed him for yet. Because the cross would come first, and then Jesus would get the hearts of people. Jesus knows this temptation, and he withstood it, and that means he will help us stand against it. Some of this could be overwhelming because when you think about all the little tiny ways we steal from people, you may be thinking, man, I do this all the time. This just permeates everything I do. But Jesus can help you fight that temptation. Jesus, did you know that Jesus can take the greediest person in here and make you the greatest giver in here? Jesus can take the worst taker in here. I mean, you're such a taker. When people see that you're calling, they don't even want to answer. Jesus can take the worst taker among us and make you the most sacrificial person in this church. He has the power to do that. And he knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows. He's your high priest. He stood against it. So can you. Number three. Number three. Jesus offers a better way. Go to Philippians chapter two. It may be on the screen. I can't remember if I put it in there or not. But Philippians chapter two, verse verse five. Jesus offers a better way. By the way, um, this message, the point of this message is not just don't steal stuff. And the point of Jesus and the way of Jesus he gives to his followers is not simply don't take stuff. There's so much more than that. Look at Philippians 2 beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The phrasing is a little odd, but let me just explain what this means quickly and we'll continue. When it says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not think it robbery, he didn't think of his equality with God as robbery, here's what it means by that. Jesus did not see this position, he's fully God coming to earth as God, he did not see that as an opportunity to be robbing, to be clutching and grabbing for stuff. Jesus, in other words, did not, even with the equality of God, did not see his incarnation as a way to benefit himself. No. See, the way of Satan, the way of the serpent, the way of the dragon, is to steal. He has come to steal and to kill, right? To take, and this is, by the way, what we do in our natural sinful selves. The way of the dragon is to take what God hasn't given you to benefit yourself. But the way of Jesus, the way of the Lamb, is not just to not take. No. It is to sacrifice, that is to give up what God has given you to benefit others. That's the path Jesus invites us to walk. This is more than not taking. This is giving everything. Giving, as Jim Elliott said, that it was not foolish to do because you can't keep it anyway. 
Ephesians 4 charts out this new path for us. Verses 24 and then skip to verse 28. Paul tells his friends, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And here's one of the ways we live out the new man. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Do you see what Paul's vision is for the sanctified Christian life? Steal no more, but it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. Stop being greedy. Stop being materialistic. Stop maxing out your credit cards. Stop taking advantage of people. Are you with me? But that's only the beginning. Start working so you can give what you have to others. That's the vision Paul has for us and that Christ has for us. To be a follower of Jesus doesn't mean not to take, but to give So some questions and we'll be done. Are there indicators in your life that you don't trust God's providence? Are there indicators in your life that you don't trust God's providence? I had some friends that had taken in some foster kids who came from a very difficult environment where they were not fed properly. And these friends of mine had a bowl of fruit that was on their table at all times. And these kids had just moved in with him. And any time they'd come into the kitchen or the dining room, they would just grab as much fruit as they could, eat it like crazy, stick it in their pockets. Why? Well, to to be fair, they were used to not being taken care of. Right? That makes sense. But that is sometimes how we act toward stuff how we act toward opportunities, how we act toward money, how we act maybe when our paycheck comes in. And we claw and claw and get as much as we can get out of this life. And we're acting as if we don't have a father who takes care of us. Why can't we just leave the fruit in the bowl and trust the Lord and trust his providence? Number two, do you see your possessions as yours to be used for your benefit or as stewardship opportunities to be used in God's kingdom. I've already referred to Luke 16, so we don't have to camp there. I, I did preach that message on it a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that if you didn't hear it. But my point there was that our stuff isn't to be used for this temporary life as much as it's to be used for eternal purposes. Number three, are you stealing? Are you stealing? Are you stealing from work by not putting in the work you should be? Stealing from your employer, your business, your company? Are you stealing your children by acting like they are your possessions that you can either boss around or live vicariously through? Instead of stewarding them and discipling them, remembering that they belong to God. Some people act like their children are completely their own and that they don't belong to God. Well, let me talk to the single people for, for just a minute. I know we've already talked about adultery, but really our, our pastor uh, honed in on adultery within married relationships. Maybe uncomfortably for some of you, but it was a good sermon. If you haven't heard it, you should go back and listen to it. Uh, but there's a very real temptation in our culture today to think about sexuality as being nothing more than a matter of consent. So that single people may not feel like they can even commit adultery. 
Because you may be thinking, as long as this person agrees, I can do whatever I want. But you're forgetting something. They don't belong to themselves. And you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God. And they belong to God. Restraint and commitment when it comes to sexual activity, and even if that means delaying it for a very long time until you get married, flows from a trust in God that says, God, what you've given me, I'm going to use, and what you haven't given me, I'm going to trust that I don't need. And if if you've not given me a marriage covenant, I'm not going to act as if I have a marriage covenant. Are we good? There's all kinds of ways we can steal. All of it proceeds from a heart that doesn't trust the Lord. So be thankful for what you have. Trust God to meet your needs. Don't take from others what the Lord has not given to you. And don't take from God what belongs to him.